sometimes. From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening. Great to have you joining us on Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your host this evening, filling in for Tony. And I'm the special assistant to the president here at Family Research Council. We welcome you aboard this evening and happy St. Patrick's Day to you. We've got an exciting program lined up for you. We're going to hit on some major highlights of uh, great interest and concern. We're going to begin this evening uh, by discussing President Biden, who is now calling on Congress to find a way to impose tougher restrictions on bank CEOs and different executives because of the recent failures that we have watched take place. And we've seen some banks come to the rescue to the tune of some $30 billion, which ultimately we all know who is going to be paying those back. We'll be talking with Congressman Ralph Norman on that issue here in just a few moments. Then a little bit later, as we move on, we also have the Biden administration continuing to refuse to abide by the rule of law. This is extremely concerning as we are watching, we have watched and continue watching pregnancy life centers across the country has undergone various types of attacks and no arrests. Well, last night there was yet another attack in uh, the state of New York and outside of Buffalo. And we will be talking to the CEO of Compass Care who now has been attacked for the second time. He will be joining us here in just a little while. And, of course, it's no surprise that the Biden administration continues to refuse to abide by the rule of law. And we are watching a shift take place right now that to many of us is extremely concerning, where literally we are watching spiritual terminology to be used in order to advance the leftist agenda. Extremely concerning, and I want to give you some of my thoughts on that later on in the program. And then speaking of abortion and those type of issues, the gender issue, all of these different things that we're watching, a continual barrage coming our way from the left. Uh, We've watched students out at Stanford Law School recently literally attack, go after verbally and not even allow him to speak a sitting federal judge that of course as many of you know have been making all sorts of news and headlines and we're going to be talking to one of the students that was actually there witnessing it all watching it all one of the in fact he's the head of the organization that invited the judge to come speak Uh, he will be joining us to discuss this and we're going to go deeper into that topic as well. So a lot of heads, stay tuned. Uh, You don't want to miss any of it. And let me just say this by way of our website. If by chance you do happen to miss any portion of today's program, as you well know, you can catch it and a host of other archives on our website, TonyPerkins.com. So be sure to keep that website handy. All right, let's go into this. As I mentioned at the top of the program, Uh, President Biden is now calling on Congress to come up with with different ways, restrictions uh, to go after bank presidents, uh, various heads of banks uh, because of their lack, as the president uh, is is painting it. Uh, It's all their fault that we're seeing some uh, bank failures. And certainly there may be a degree of responsibility there, but the problems 
that are contributing to these closures are much wider and much broader than just the executives in the banks. Well, we are now watching uh, some big banks, uh, such as Bank of America, uh, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Wells Fargo, and others come to the rescue uh, to the tune of some $5 billion each. There's some somewhere in the ballpark of now $30 billion uh, coming to the rescue. Well, we want to dive more into this. What is the situation with our banks? And what is this going to mean to an already volatile uh, economy? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is U.S. Congressman Ralph Norman. He serves on uh, three different House committees, one of which is the Financial Services and Budget Committee. He represents the 5th Congressional District in South Carolina. Congressman Norman, thank you for joining me on Washington Watch. Great to see you again. Well, Jody, great to be with you. We we miss you up here in D.C. Well, listen, I miss you as well, and uh, you are a dear, dear friend, and it's great to have you on the program. I'm, I'm so grateful that you are serving on some of these extremely important committees right now. Uh, first of all, just give me some your overall thoughts. What in the world is happening with our banks across the country right now? Well, as we've seen, Jody, the you know SVB Bank, SVB Bank was over two hundred billion failed. The Signature Bank assets had that had assets over hundred ten billion have failed. It was largely on these two banks. It was apparently, from what we know by now. They had just made investments uh, in fixed mortgage-backed securities and fixed-term as- uh, bar contributing to fixed assets, and they didn't have that equity to pay it back when the run on the bank came uh, for $42 billion. So uh, it's tied to the interest rates. It's tied to uh, what, in their minds, the executives' minds, they, it was a uh, a uh, trying to get bigger returns on the investment, uh, and it just didn't work out because run on the bank is uh, is a issue that a lot of banks are facing. But they typically, uh, they have me- measures that will ha- let them prevent that. On these, they did not. Uh, it could be more. A lot of it, I think, Jody, is on the economy. Uh, interest rates, as you know, have gone up. Uh, the economy is not doing well with inflation, and people are uneasy anyway. With these failures, it'll even be more so uh, with the bank because the banks are supposed to be one of your secure areas that you can put your money, and it just hadn't been the case. Well, I, I agree with you. I think there's, uh, you know, we haven't seen a run on banks in a long time, and this certainly is creating a lot of uneasiness, uh, rightfully so, uh, within the hearts of many, many people. But to point the finger and say it's only the executives of the bank's fault I, I agree with you. This is a broader issue. What do you think about the president coming out and more or less pointing the finger at the executives, the bank CEOs and so forth and say we need more restrictions on them? Uh, is that the right way to go? It's par for the course. I mean, that's what he does. You know, if you remember when gas prices went up, it was Putin's fault. He always looks for for blame. Uh, I think he has to look uh, toward his policies, look at the Green New Deal policies, the woke policies that he's uh, making banks or highly encouraging banks to to participate in. SVC, I understand, had over five billion in in uh, Green New Deal related uh, investments, which aren't doing well. If you look at their stocks, they're not that. Uh, people would put them in a lot of other places rather than green 
uh, the Green New Deal stocks. And um, but it's his policies, and I really think he's clueless. I don't think he knows what to do. Uh, these banks that uh, we're bailing out now under the systemic uh, designation uh, is, you know, he's setting a precedent. I don't think he can withstand because you're going to bail these banks out, or you're going to bail every bank out that has problems like this. And this is what the FDIC is the insurance is for. And uh, but he's uh, jumped to the, these conclusions. and It doesn't shock me. That he's blaming the, the CEOs. Yeah. And, you know, even the FDIC is that money is coming from somewhere. And if you start having runs on banks across the, the whole country, uh, this is going to be extremely problematic. I, I saw yesterday that uh, the, uh, Secretary Yellen was at a, a Senate hearing and even there, there was a lot of disturbing information that came out. Everything were from uh, China is actually going to be paid back for their interests in the banks and, and all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, she was trying to give some degree of reassurance to the American public that their money is safe, that banks are safe. What was your take on her comments in the hearing yesterday? The same as when Joe Biden talks, his words are meaningless. I think uh, Janet Yellen's words are meaningless. I don't think, you know, she was, if you listen to her, she was having to read this. And, um, you know, I don't know what, what, how she's basing that. I mean, we've got major banks that are failing. And for one reason or another, they're pointing the finger and saying things are secure. Well, they're not. Now, hopefully more banks won't face this type problem. But uh, this this goes back again to the economy, to people feeling Ill, Ill at ease. They take their pay is less, uh, and the ability to borrow money, make loan payments is far less than what it was two years ago. So um, I don't know where she's basing that, but I don't know why she was in Ukraine doling out our money uh, as she did uh, a week or so ago. So it's all uh, to me just words. Well, you bring up a whole lot more questions. I wish we had time to dive into some of those even further. But if I can, Ralph, I'd like to switch gears a little bit because I know this is also a topic that you've been very heavily involved with uh, for a long, long time. But yesterday, the uh, uh, Committee on Homeland Security had a meeting down at the border, a hearing down at the border. And yet again, Democrats, uh, if you will, protested that and didn't show up for it. But uh, we have the uh DHS Secretary Mayorkas, who testified a year ago or so, uh, months ago, that the border was operationally secure. And, of course, we know that it's not at this point. Uh, let me let me run a clip for you. I'd like to get your feedback on this. Uh, if we can hit the Mayorkas and the Ortiz clip back to back, please. Will you testify under oath right now? Do we have operational control, yes or no? Yes, we do. And we have operational control of the borders. Yes, we do. And You heard the secretary. He said we have operational control. That's the definition and of operational control. Based upon the control. definition you have, sir, up there, no. We don't have operational control. No, sir. Wow. I mean, this is serious stuff here. Here, here we have uh, Secretary Mayorka saying, yes, we have operational control at the, at the southern border. Uh, and the border chief who is there working says, oh, no, we are nowhere close to operational control. What's your take on this? Well, you know, if you look at the definition, Jody, and, you know, if, if for it to be operationally secure, uh, you know, have operational control, it means you prevent all unlawful entries into the United States, uh, entry by terrorists, aliens, uh, narcotics, contraband. 
And we know that's not the case. I've been to the border, as you have. There have been 4.6 million encounters since this president took office, a million in the last five months that we know of. Uh, but until the wall is built, and, and by the way, for, for your viewers, we're paying an estimated 130000 per day, uh, which is around $50 million per year to store the steel and the materials that have already been paid for. Uh, we're paying that to the to the property owners, and while it just sits there, and until you have designated points of entry and a wall, and he, you know, you're not going to have any type of uh, security. Mayorkas, when I was on the on the uh, oversight committee, told when I asked him, "Is a border secure?" He said, "Yes." Then I said, "Well, define unsecured," and it was like a deer in headlights. So they have no credibility, and the sad part about it. To unwind this for hopefully the next uh, president, uh, Republican president comes in to unwind it. I don't know how you do that. You know, we're we've got two more years of this, and at this rate, we will have 10 to 15 million illegals in this country, uh, ballooning the budgets of every city and every municipality in America, which is sad. It's unbelievable. Congressman Ralph Norman from South Carolina, uh, dear friends, always great seeing you. Thank you for your work, your leadership in Congress. Keep the torch ablaze, my friend. Thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. My pleasure. Thank you, Jody. You bet. All right, friends, stay tuned. We've got much more to cover. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to be speaking with Jim Harden. He's the CEO of Compass Care. Uh, another pro-life uh, protection center for pregnant mothers who is attacked again for the second time. We'll speak with him straight up after the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. 
To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your host, and we're honored to have you joining us this evening. Well, less than a year after their office in Buffalo, New York, was firebombed, the Compass Care Pregnancy Services has yet again fallen victim to anti-abortion activism last night. Their office was vandalized with the word liars sprayed on the signage. It took place sometime shortly after midnight. Uh, so should we be surprised that considering uh, when you look at how New York's governor literally has been putting money into protecting abortion clinics while just absolutely staying silent against pro-life facilities. Uh, the failure to ensure enforcement of the law uh, just produces more lawlessness. Well, with me to discuss more of this is Jim Harden. He is the CEO of the Compass Care Pregnancy Services. Jim, Welcome back to Washington Watch. We're glad to have you. It's an honor to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, it's our honor. Let me, first of all, just say uh, that we are so sorry that once again, uh, you are having to go through what you're experiencing right now. Uh, but let me ask you, Jim, do you have any reason to believe that the investigation into this is going to end with any better results than the inv investigation uh, into the fire bomb bombings that you experienced last year? No, we have every reason to believe the opposite. We have every reason to believe that this is not going to end in any kind of uh, arrest unless we force it through our private investigators, uh, which which they're looking, you know, our private investigators are on this. Um, you know, you're right about uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul. She signed a bill six days after that particular office of ours was firebombed last June 7th. She signed this bill to investigate pregnancy centers saying that we're and claiming that we're misleading women or harming women with misinformation that's consistent with the graffiti message on our sign that, that uh, came last uh, yesterday. Liars in all caps. This is Jane's Revenge Antifa style uh, graffiti, big black letters in the red. And, uh, you know, you know, Letitia James, New York State uh, Attorney General has the same message. She sent an open letter to Google demanding that they wipe us off the map so that women can't find us because they claim they're, we're misleading women. We're the ones telling women the truth. And it appears that va certain vandalism and violence uh, against the, 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 the political or ideological perceived enemies of uh, the pro-abortion elite 
uh, is is okay. I mean, look, New York State Police have a domestic terror unit that has not been deployed. Kathy Hochul said that they are standing by. Last time we were firebombed, they are still standing by. Uh, you know, why, why is the DOJ deprioritizing these investigations against pro-life organizations? Well, I think it's because they're they're classified under the Civil Rights uh, Division. And the person in charge of the Civil Rights Division is Kristen Clark. And many people know that she is, uh, you know, a, a supporter of BLM Antifa. And this Jane's Revenge activity is related to Antifa. And she's also, on her own Twitter account, vehemently opposed to pro-life pregnancy centers. So uh, we've got... We've got a, a you know a, a politicized uh, DOJ and FBI and Biden administration. I said that FBI needs to be defunded uh, last Monday. Uh, Joe Biden himself came out ridiculing that comment at a speech two days later, saying, "Did you hear the latest? He doesn't want to. He wants to defund local police and investigators, but add more funding to the FBI. This is kind of a Maoist Red Guard approach. He wants to centralize policing to the federal government and allow for certain kinds of, of violence." It's uh, it's it's reprehensible. I mean, I it is. I, I can't I can't express it. I can't express my outrage enough. But I but we're well, Christians. listen, we're we're right there with you, Jim. I, this is unbelievable. And to look at a year has gone by and still no arrest. No. I mean, this investigation is nowhere. It's 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 the uh, political leaders in your own state, as well as the politicalization that is taking place in the FBI, the Department of Justice and so forth across the board. And now we are watching attacks like this literally take place all across the country. So what message do you think that ultimately uh, the Biden administration is sending to those pro-abortion activists right now? When when no one is being arrested, what do you think they are receiving as the message? Well, the message is you get a pass. The message right. is that government is supporting you. The, the message is that uh, the, the that, uh, current Biden administration is in full support of a, a philosophy of government that is more Maoist Chinese than it is rule of law constitutional. So, yeah, this is emboldening them. And it, and we've seen that happen with the Minneapolis attack after uh, Hanoi Jane's encouragement uh, to murder pro-life people last Friday. The Jane's revenge attack on the Minneapolis uh, pregnancy center there. Uh, happened at night. A few hours later, it was attended by an Antifa protest, black bloc ma- ma- masks and all the rest. These people are emboldened. Jim, we've only got a couple of minutes. Let me, let me, I want, I wanted to get your take on a, uh, a clip that I have because this, this whole argument is so one sided now. They're going to protect the uh, pro abortionists, but they're not going to protect uh, pro lifers whatsoever. And I want to play a clip uh, for you of something that uh, the uh, Doug Emhoff said uh, last Wednesday, I believe it was, about hatred in the nation. He was speaking specifically about parents at school. Uh, but let me play this clip and get your thoughts. Just going to the school meeting, you see that, that hate that is out there. We've got to step up and speak out. And we've got to call out the cowards out there. People, as my wife likes to say, these so-called leaders, but she's right. Because you can't be in leadership if you're not going to lead and you can't be in leadership if you're not going to call out things that you know are wrong. Yeah, look, we've only got about 60 seconds left here, but uh, what do you think about how the left is vilifying pro-lifers and conservatives, making it as if they are the immoral ones, uh, they are the ones that they need to protect others from? Your quick take on it. 
Well, um, pro-life people are being vilified because of what we believe. Our belief runs absolutely counter to the belief of the political elite, and uh, that, that stands in the way of absolute tyranny. What we believe is that all people are made in the image of God and therefore equally valuable. We are endowed by our creator, the Declaration of Independence says, uh, with inalienable rights, the first of which, the, most, uh, the, the primary one, the presupposes all others, is the right to life. This is endowed by God, not by government, and government wants to replace God with their new moral code. Well, Jim Harden, I want to say thank you again so much. Boy, you're putting up. Well, you're in, you're in the, the middle of the fire. You're in the tip of the spear, and thank you for standing up for life, and thank you for standing up for the rights to be heard. We appreciate you joining us this evening here on Washington Watch. Thank you. All right, friends, uh, much more coming straight ahead. Coming up, I'm going to offer some of my thoughts on the left's use of spiritual language to cloak what is simply evil. Don't go away. We're going to be pushing forward on this straight ahead. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Glad to have you on board. I'm Jody Heiss, your host this evening, sitting in for Tony Perkins, and we're glad to have you with us. All right, yesterday, some of you may have seen this. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris gave some remarks during an abortion rights roundtable at Grandview University in Des Moines, Iowa. And as usual, she painted conservatives as the villains. Look at this clip. We have seen states in the United States of America that have been proposing or passing laws that would criminalize health care providers. 
literally laws that provide jail time for a doctor or a nurse who does what they took an oath to do, which is to treat their patients in a way they believe is in the best interest of their patients. Well, actually, Madam Vice President, the oath to which you referred says to do no harm, which obviously abortion does. She uh, called also during that speech, she called the approach of red states and uh, in in some of the, the laws coming in relation to rape and incest as immoral. Again, we have clip. seen what I would consider and do consider as a former prosecutor to be an, an, an immoral approach to survivors of rape or incest being deprived of the ability after that to make other decisions about their body. It's immoral. It's immoral. Uh, this is unbelievable language. It is unbelievable that they would literally, that the vice president would literally come out and say a pro-life position is immoral. I want to speak to this a little bit further. I got one more clip I want to Throw your way, President Biden just a couple of days ago was telling us what is what he called close to sinful. Look at this. What's going on in Florida is, as my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. Well, listen, I, I, it is terrible what they are doing, what the left is doing to this country. Literally, at this point, the left in this country want to tell us what is immoral and what is sinful. So what are we to, to make of the left's use of spiritual language? This is what's so disturbing to me. And I, I really just want to take a few moments to just uh, unravel some of my own thoughts here. Uh, in fact, let me let me go to the control center. If you guys have clip nine, if you could uh, play that real quickly. I believed then, as I believe today, this is the most beautiful building in the world because of what it represents. The Capitol is a temple of our democracy, of our Constitution, of our highest ideals. Did you catch that? I was on the House floor that day when Speaker Pelosi at the time gave that statement. And I hope you caught it because it is exceedingly revealing. She referred to the people's house. She referred to the Capitol building as a temple. It is not a temple. It is not a political temple. It is a building for political debate, but it is not a temple. But in so designating it that way, she really gave away the view that she and so many on the left have of their political left-wing ideology these days. It is, in fact, their religion. They have bought into this left-wing wokeism, radical ideology as their religion, and they embrace it in that kind of way. They wake up every morning thinking, how can they advance their religion? How can they push this on American society. And it's extremely concerning that now they are literally using 
biblical terminology, spiritual words to describe their positions and to vilify those of us who literally hold to biblical truth is our worldview. But they are using words like immoral and sinful to describe everyone who disagrees with their radical positions. You know, listen, when when you start placing yourself in the position of God, uh, there's no good end of that. You know, one thing that we see in the Bible, you start in Genesis, you start at the very beginning. The Bible is a, a, a powerful, it is the word of God, but it is a book of distinctions. There is God and there is man. There, I mean, even simple things, there is day and there is night. Uh, there, there is life and death, but there is God, there is man, there is right, and there is wrong. There is male, there is female. The, the Bible is a book of distinctions, and it is a book of truth. It is the word of God. And now we're watching an entire uh, generation of leaders cramming down our throats that they have the definition of truth, that they have the, the, the corner market on what is right and wrong. And if you don't agree with them, you are immoral. You are wrong. You are the one that must be dealt with. Folks, I want you to understand that this is the culture that we are entering into politically. It is a spiritual battle. It, 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 is, it is eyes that have been blinded. And we know what the Bible says about life, God created life. So many passages to deal with that. We know what God says about the genders. He created two of them. And yet now we have the left wing embracing their liberal religion and trying to force it all upon us. So I just think that we keep, we've got to keep this on track, what it's all about. Listen, folks, we've got a lot happening straight ahead right after the break. Don't miss it. We want to keep you informed. We'll be right back. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text S-T-A-N-D to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Glad to have you joining us this evening. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Heard our nation's leading law schools used to be places where ideas were robustly debated. I mean, after all, those schools are the places that are intended to train lawyers of all kinds, from con- constitutional lawyers to business lawyers, immigration, uh, prosecutors, and defense attorneys. Uh, but if our nation's elite law schools and their woke law students have it their way, then the future of our judicial branch might be in jeopardy going forward because we're going to end up with just one type of legal system, and that's a woke one, Uh, a woke system that does not tolerate anyone who themselves is not woke. We saw just a preview of this last week when Kyle Duncan, he's a judge on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which, by the way, that court is just one step below the U.S. Supreme Court. But Judge Duncan uh, was shouted out of a speaking engagement at Stanford Law School by its elite woke law students. And that's not all that happened. He got a lecture from the school's associate dean for diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. Look at this. I'm also uncomfortable because it is my job to say you were invited into this space. We believe that the way to address speech that feels abhorrent, that feels harmful, that literally denies the humanity of people, that one way to do that is with more speech and not less, and not to shut you down or censor you or censor the student group that invited you here. Well, that was quite a welcome, wasn't it? I'm frankly not sure how welcome the judge felt about those remarks from the dean. But uh, but even that uh, was far better than how the students pushed back uh, with me right now, who was there firsthand to give an account of all of the happenings at Stanford is Tom Rosenberger. He's the president of the Stanford University Federalist Society, which organized the event uh, that the judge spoke at. Tim, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me on, Congressman. Well, it's an honor to have you. Look, video of the event is not yet publicly available. 
uh, in part because uh, the university has refused to turn it over to you. And as I understand it, you've actually paid for the video before the event even took place. But as of yet, have they still not given you the video? Yeah, we paid $150 to have University AV film this. And so far, we've got nothing. Uh, I checked in with the dean on Tuesday after several emails and checking in with the AV office. And she said she knew nothing about it but would look into it. But now we're at Friday. Uh, still no copy of the tape. So hoping that comes out because I think it adds more context to what the judge was up against and why he wasn't able to speak. Yeah, it actually does add a lot of context that's needed. Uh, we need to see the videos. And, of course, we we do have the, the audio, and that's good. But uh, but you were there in person. So if you would, uh, walk us through what happened on that day. Absolutely. The judge arrived a bit early, so he and I went to grab a coffee. And as we were walking back towards the law school, we were a good a good long ways away, maybe 100 yards away from law school, we could hear this din. It was like this sort of demonic block party noise. And as we walked towards the school, we got up to the door and we entered it, and there was this gauntlet of people, about a 100-person mob lining both sides of the hallway the judge would have to walk through to get to the room where he was going to speak. And these people uh, had painted faces. They had a poodle mix dog painted as the trans flag. They had various obscene signs they were waving in the judge's face. Uh, some people were doing chants, like sort of like middle school cheerleader style chants, objecting to various things the judge did. And some were yelling much sicker things. Somebody actually was yelling about how they hoped his daughters would be raped. So uh, it was sort of this horrible experience for him to get into the room. Once he got into the room, he tried to give his, I introduced him. He tried to give his speech. He was shouted down pretty much immediately. There was this din, this raucous noise of people, plus crosstalk. He'd say something like, you know, we stand for freedom. And somebody would say, what about freedom for women to choose? Or what about you know, some other uh, alleged wrong he had done on the bench, and uh, he wasn't able to get any any traction. So after about 15 minutes, uh, finally an administrator, this dean you saw, uh, Dean Tyrion, wandered down towards the front. I assumed to go over the policy Stanford has. I had reviewed these with Student Affairs on Tuesday, and the policy of Stanford is protest is fine, tough questions in a Q&A are fine, but you can't disrupt an event. If you disrupt an event, you'll be warned once, and then you'll be ejected. So I assumed she was coming down to say, this is the warning. We're going to start ejecting people. It, it seemed a little late, but it was time. Uh, but instead, as you saw in that video, the judge was lectured. And then uh, we were at this point about halfway through what was supposed to be an hour-long event. And he went right into a Q&A, which uh, further devolved as students asked sort of sick and inappropriate things. Well, it had to be very disturbing for you being there witnessing it all and watching your fellow students uh, act like this. You know, this is the type of thing, Tim, we're seeing – conservative experience, uh, this type of silencing from speaking, uh, from trying to speak uh, more and more all across the country. And I, I uh, know, in fact, a year ago today, Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, Kristen Wagner, was on this show a year ago today uh, because of this type of experience that happened to her at Yale Law School. Uh, but this is a, what happened at Stanford. This is a whole new level a law student shouting down a sitting federal judge. I'd really like to know your opinion. How does this bode with the, the future of the legal profession? What, what, what does this say about where our uh, legal system is going when our elite law schools are teaching this type of wokeism, wokeism but enabling and allowing the students to shut down free speech of conservatives? Well, I think you're seeing much like the rest of the country, we're at a, an inflection point. 
and we can either choose reform and revival, or we can choose collapse. And the legal profession is going to hit this pretty acutely. You think about what it takes to be a lawyer. It's one of the three old professions, like being in the clergy or being a doctor. And that means you have to work very, very hard, and you have to serve everyone, right? Everyone deserves legal representation. Everyone should be able to get medical care. Everyone should be able to talk to a pastor. And so you as a lawyer need to be able to represent and serve people you really disagree with. And you have to be able to argue for points you may disagree with. And you have to handle yourself in a profession with people who you might not always agree with. And if this is how the profession is going to go, if we're just going to anathematize uh, categories of people, if we're going to say, you know, we hope the children of a federal judge will be raped, if we're going to have these sick and diabolical mob mentalities, then I can't see the legal profession surviving, uh, either in the academy or at the firms. I, I can't imagine uh, corporations and people paying these high rates to law firms to have these crazy people show up and do a bad job for them. I think you're hitting it straight on the head, Tim. It is diabolical, and the the future of our legal system is uh, shaky at best, uh, frightful to think about if this is what's coming of it. The the university did issue, I guess, some degree of an apology. Uh, how did you uh, take their apology? Uh, what do you make of it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that we as people of faith maybe have a particular view of this, which is, there's a process in Scripture that shows us repentance and forgiveness, and it's not sort of transferable. Uh, so it's an important first step for the university that the president, the dean, apologized to the judge. He deserved to hear from them. But you'll notice that the people actually involved in this demonic mob, the people yelling about rape, the people waving obscene signs at him, the people who prevented him from speaking, those people aren't apologizing. They're completely gleeful right now. Uh, some of them have sent out emails to the listserv of the student body describing this as Stanford University at its best. They're not even feigning contrition. They're certainly not going through the further steps of reconciliation with the judge or with the students who they uh, – showed so much contempt and hatred for. So I, I think we have a lot to do. You know, this was an important first step, but it doesn't address the bigger policy questions of the law school. And it certainly doesn't do the work of changing hearts and minds so we can really love and forgive each other. Well said. Tim Rosenberger, thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. We deeply appreciate and are grateful for your insight. Thanks for having me on. Glad to. All right, I want to go now and bring on Mike Davis. He's the founder of the Article 3 Project. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. We are honored to have you. Thank you for having me, Congressman. We're glad to. Uh, listen, uh, let's just continue this thought and go deeper. Uh, you are, of course, uh, very deeply rooted from a legal perspective. Let me begin by asking you the same question I just asked Tim. Uh, what uh, is the future of our legal systems, our legal schools, the students that are coming out of the schools, the impact that that is going to have on the uh, legal system and judicial branch of our government going forward? If what happened at Stanford and similar incidents like that, if this is not changed, what does the future look like? Uh, well, first of all, I want to say that the future looks very bright when we have young Law students like Tim Rosenberger, who we just saw on that your show, truth. this guy has a lot of courage for uh, taking on uh, university deans at Stanford University. So I want to say cheers to him. And I hope that my friends in the federal judiciary, maybe Judge Patrick Bumate, Judge Amul Thapar, uh, Judge Jim Ho, many judges out there 
should look at Tim Rosenberger for a uh, a plum uh, federal clerkship when he's done at Stanford because this guy is clearly smart and he clearly has courage. So there is hope there. The problem is, is that Tim is a small minority in law schools. These law schools are – I went to law school 20 years ago, but Tim is now in law school with a bunch of woke, entitled cupcake babies who uh, don't want to have debates. They want to censor, silence, cancel. Uh, these are no longer – this is no longer our parents or grandparents' Democrat Party. These are not liberals who love America and uh, just agree with conservatives on the best way to get there. These are no longer liberals who believe in free speech. They believe in censorship. They don't believe in due process. They believe in me too. This uh, They don't believe in equality. They believe in equity. This is the Marxist left that have taken over the Democrat Party, and you're seeing this particularly with these uh, academics like this useless diversity, equity, and inclusion dean at Stanford Law School, Tyrion Steinbach. She shouldn't be there. Uh, she, she proved that she shouldn't be there. The university should fire her immediately. Federal judges and state judges should stop hiring Stanford Law students until she's fired. Uh, Stanford's donors should stop, give, stop giving money to Stanford University until she's fired, and they should call the Stanford president and demand that she, she gets fired. That is totally unacceptable what DEI Dean Steinbach did to a, anyone, let alone a federal appellate judge, Judge Kyle Duncan. It's unacceptable, and there has to be consequences. There have to be consequences for what she did. Those students who held up the, the most disgusting signs trying to shout him, shout him down, look, this is not, it's not free speech to show up and shout someone down. That is not free speech. That's, that is what Marxists do. And we, we cannot tolerate this in America. And we need, they, they've crossed a red line here. There needs to be consequences. Absolutely. Uh, listen, you, you just ditto, ditto, ditto. I say to you, thank you for everything you just said and including a, a shout out for uh, Tim Rosenberger. What an articulate, uh, young man on truth and the law. I mean, he understands what he's talking about. And I'm so glad that he was there and was able to come on and share with it. But you yourself, uh, you're deeply entrenched in, in legal uh, issues. I mean, you were the former chief counsel uh, for nominations to the Senate uh, Judiciary Chair, Chairman uh, Chuck Grassley. You yourself served in all three branches of our federal government. I mean, you you understand what's going on here. So when you speak to the issues that are, that are happening there at Stanford as you see them, uh, you speak with authority. How would you rate other Ivy League schools? I mean, where across the board is what happens at Stanford, by the way, in, in other words, a unique scenario, or is this type of thing acceptable in so many of our other law schools across the country? I just published a Newsweek opinion piece on this, and unfortunately, Congressman, this is happening everywhere, um, whether it's Yale or Georgetown or all over the country. And the, again, it's it is this this leftist mindset where, it, where it's not liberal Democrats anymore. It's a leftist mindset where they do not believe in free speech. They do not believe in tolerance. They believe in censorship. They believe in equity. They believe in intolerance. These are not liberals. These are illiberal, illiberal people. This is the Marxist left. And the, the problem is, is that leftists have infiltrated every place in our society. They've, they've even, from big tech, 
big media. They've long been washed out bums in academia, especially law schools like DEI Dean, Tyrion Steinbach, who couldn't have a real job in the real world if she tried. So they have to create a, a fake job for her at Stanford. Th that's the problem is, is you have these leftists taking over these key institutions. Heck, they're even taking over the military. We even have a woke military now. And it's just, look, if I if I were the communist Chinese, if I could write a playbook to destroy America, uh, what we've been doing in America over the last three or four years with with COVID lockdowns and BLM and Antifa and Me Too and pronouns and just uh, equity, uh, all the nonsense that we've seen, all these tactics from the Marxist left, that would be right. Uh, I, that would be in my playbook if I were the communist Chinese government because it is it's doing uh, it, it is doing so much damage to our country. We're seeing our country. Uh, divided, maybe trying to conquer us, pitting against each other, pitting us against each other, making us hate our country so maybe they can rebuild it in their Marxist image, build back better. Who knows? Mike, we've got about 30 seconds, and we're going to have to wrap it up. But I, the, uh, Judge Duncan actually pointed out something that you would think these law students would know, and that is the role of a judge is not to legislate from the bench. That is up to the legislative branch. Is uh, the Constitution basically been thrown out in uh, our law schools, 15 seconds. Uh, absolutely, it absolutely has. Thank God President Trump transformed the federal judiciary because uh, our country would be lost. It is the backstop. It is it is the thing that's going to finally save our country. And if we lose the federal judiciary, we're done as a republic. Mike Davis, thank you so much for your insight. We deeply appreciate you coming on Washington Watch this evening. Thank you, Congressman. You bet. And thanks to each of you for joining us on this edition of Washington Watch. We cover the big news, keeping you informed from a Christian worldview perspective. Have a great weekend. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.